and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and I do hope you're enjoying the interviews I've been sharing. The focus of this podcast is on the creative people of Austin, Texas. My intention is to have conversations that are meaningful, inspiring, and in-depth, with the goal of making a connection first with the person I'm interviewing, hopefully adding value to their life and career, and then sharing that content with the local community and potentially anyone in the world. Please share any feedback you have and leave me a rating and review on iTunes. That could help others find the podcast and inspire them to take a chance and give it a try. And if you're listening to this through an app on your phone, be sure to visit austinarttalk.com on your computer to get the full effect of each episode's webpage and to follow the links provided that are relevant to the guests and what we talk about. And if you are finding value in these interviews, there are a few ways you can support me and the weekly production of the podcast that are listed on the support page of the website. And I want to show some appreciation to my five current Patreon supporters. My mom, who was the first, my Uncle Mike, and artists McKenna Hatter, America Martin, and Haley Gillespie. I'm so grateful for your monthly contributions and acknowledgement of this project, which I want to continue to create and improve, and hopefully provide a valuable resource for artists in Austin and beyond. Visual artist Charles Hepner's work spans many different mediums and has many themes, but ultimately, as he says, focuses on the sanctity of beauty, especially in nature, how its appreciation makes us human, and the interconnectedness of everything. He is always looking with a curious eye for what is visually compelling and wants to share the beauty and magic he discovers. And he has worked hard to figure out how to be present both as an artist and a parent, and has integrated his art practice into his life as a stay-at-home dad. Charles is such a thoughtful and deep thinker. I really appreciate the way his mind works and his reverence and commitment to being an artist. The discipline he has around his daily practices is inspiring. This is a great interview that I know many artists will derive value from. So here's Charles. Well, Charles, thanks for being on my podcast. Um, happy to be here. I feel like you're one of my fans. You've been very supportive and uh, given me some feedback, and I really appreciate it. You're, you're welcome. I am. I think what you're doing for the Austin art community is important. I think you're helping uh, facilitate relationships by allowing people to put themselves out there in ways that are outside their art, so people get to know people as people. <laughs> yeah, nice. So... Again, the standard question, like if for anyone that doesn't know you, yeah, how would you kind of basically describe your work just to kind of get us started um, for yourself? Yeah, um, my work um, goes across mediums. I focus mostly on the idea of the sanctity of beauty. Um, mm-hmm. And I do that because for me, that that question of what makes us human is that a concept of being attracted to beauty and i brought out a couple of books that helped me elucidate that um agnes martin one of my heroes wrote about it in an essay called beauty is the mystery of life and and with that she um it just expounds on the idea of how the attraction to our aesthetics or looking towards beauty is what makes us human and to 
be focused on that is one of the important factors of art for her. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with that. I mean, that's what drives me. And on that concept of beauty, though, there's a deeper drive for me is that years ago, one of my ex-brother-in-laws had come back from Belfast uh, doing a course there on conflict resolution. He shared mm. with me the story of how to diffuse uh, a situation, say, on a bus where you see a parent abusing a child, mm. and how one of the techniques is to try and draw the parent out by recognizing the beauty of the child. Hmm. Because generally when people are stuck in anger, they've their their brains have turned off on their own selves and have now just been focused on the violence of anger. Yeah. And and a way to draw them back is to call attention to what makes us human is the yeah. beauty of a child, and then and that that can change it. And I I have had experiences where you can feel in a situation where a parent or somebody's upset with a person in a public space that could be heightened. And I have used that technique, oh, and, wow. and it's wonderful to see it happen because you see somebody start to smile when they're in a negative space mm -hmm. because you know they're 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 focused on the anger and then when they're like no oh she's so beautiful and then they're like yeah and it is and it comes and so for me the the and this fits back into my work about beauty is beauty in nature most especially um a lot of my work has to do with the arboreal trees mm -hmm. and 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 I see you know we have a collective society that is still driving towards destruction of nature mm -hmm. rather than not and I think focusing on the beauty of a tree will make people you know I'm not trying to change anybody's mind so to speak but yeah. I want to recall that we're attached to the tree we can't survive without them they can survive without us just fine yeah and yeah. we we need them and they are beautiful and they so the, uh, this series of work called prayer rugs are permutations of a photograph of a, of a tree of a beautiful part of the tree and then i try and heighten that beauty mm -hmm. to call attention to it and and the i the biggest compliment i've gotten are from people that have said you've changed the way i look at trees and oh, I'm, like, wonderful. I'm like yes that's and and wow, that's, so that's yeah. that's to me like that's the reward right there yeah it sounds like your work could be a cure to um a term that i've heard nature divorcement Oh sure, which I think yep. is kind of the yep. the yep. genesis of all of this destru destruction that you're talking about. Right, and so I also have the the sacred fabric series that I'll be showing at Davis, and that is steps one step out and talks about not just our connectedness with trees, but connectedness to everything, our interconnectedness to everything. The sacred fabric for me is a metaphor that. I've expounded on from a metaphor that was used by Cardinal Bernadine on the sacred uh, seamless garment of Catholic social teaching. Mm -hmm. And and he was like, you can't just focus on one thing like 
um, be, being anti-poverty, but be pro-war, pro-capital punishment. It's like, no, that's not the way it works. You have yeah. to, you have to wear the whole cloak. Holistic. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, well, we're all connected to the universe in general. And that grid of the cheesecloth to me ends up being a representation of that. And so I've ended up doing these, what I like to say, drawings with the cheesecloth mm-hmm. and to represent in an abstract way these ideas of interconnectedness. Yeah. So I'm, I'm wondering if it would be useful to kind of reflect back on just kind of your journey through life uh, to the present day at all that you could share anything that you think could be relevant to kind of like how you developed how you view your work or what you're doing now? Yeah. Um, so my journey began definitely in high school with my love of art. I had an amazing art teacher with whom I'm still f- very close friends. Oh, wonderful. Um, his name's Father Vorwalt. Um, he's out on Instagram. He's a lot of fun to oh, follow. Nice. <laughs> um, and uh, he's still an important part of my life. But it was through him that I began to understand that creating art is one the process itself of making things but following your heart and being being true to your heart about the creative process mm. and i felt that same way about math and in many ways they were interconnected in high school i was as i had mentioned to you earlier I was both in advanced math and advanced art. And yeah. so making that choice at high school of whether or not you're going to go to art school or to math or to engineering school, um, family pressures always push you around yeah, and stuff it wasn't like totally that. It's not your choice. It's not, <laughs> it's not your choice at that. And it, I don't think it ought to be unless you're a special, a, a special, special. And, and I, uh, I ended up going to an engineering school and much to the chagrin of my father, I ended up pursuing pure math instead of oh. an engineering degree, which is actually kind of funny to think about, but whatever. <laughs> uh, so I got my math degree um, eventually at the University of Wisconsin. I started at Michigan Tech. But Michigan Tech, when I was there, um, you know, I was swimming on the college team and doing my engineering and then dropping mechanical and going into math. Mm-hmm. There was only one art teacher for the whole university, mm-hmm. um, but they had an amazing facility, and her name's Marianne Beckwith, and she's still there. And um, and years ago, I wrote her a long letter saying, you know, your influence on me and love of trees has totally stuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but it was there that I had my first realization that, I knew I had the passion and drive for art, and I, there was a very specific moment. I was in the studio. She had a very amazing studio space for the students that overlooked this valley, and it just was beautiful. And I was painting, these, uh, doing these watercolors, and I was so taken by the work. And then I realized that hours had passed, and I was supposed to be doing other things, and I freaked out because I was afraid. I was afraid of mm. what my brain was doing about focusing on that art. And I ran away from it. Mm. Like I did, I continued to do work, but I always kept it 
at arm's length. Like yeah. I was always doing little work here and there, doing this or, or just that, controlling it, just controlling it, but always keeping it. A, like I kept journals, I kept writing and 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 drawing and doing those thing, sort of things, but always keeping it at arm's length. But I remember that moment of being terrified mm. in a way of the pursuit of my art. It wasn't until not a few years later when I started working as a, I fast forward, I got a job with a um, trading firm in Chicago Mm -hmm. and became a trader on one of the, on one of the exchanges on the trading floor. I was one of those guys wearing those brightly colored jackets, yelling and screaming and (laughs) doing all that crap. I was a market maker is what it was. And which was a very interesting life. Um, but I kept a studio. I, I ended up living in the East Pilsen neighborhood of Chicago, which is known for its arts. Mm. Um, it's a very well-established community. It's still there. Um, and uh, they've been the family that bought that neighborhood, supported the arts for years and years. It would give you cheap studio spaces mm. and stuff like that. It, it's not like that now, but you know, it's definitely commercialized more. But back then, there was still this community where I got to meet people like Donna Blue Lockman, and she was amazing, she, uh, performance artist, writer, mm. all these sort of things. But um, it was across the street from her theater, the Blue Rider Theater, and then we shared porches with other artists that and it was a wonderful community wow. to be a part of. So I could leave the trading floor, go home, and turn on music at 11:30 at night and paint. And no one, oh, no one, ga- no one gave a shit. It was okay. like, it was nice. like, just, just do it. And and I loved that life. Uh, you know, I had a good day job and doing this, and then, then life took another turn. I ended up having the great joy of becoming a parent yeah. <laughs> at the in my 20s and you know that's a huge transition of yeah. trying to integrate one's life with the with the arts and being a responsible parent and making sure that everything's taken care of and my daughter's mother is an artist too she's a a singer and still teaches in Chicago but um, she was in school when we were first together and, and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So we had all of those things going on. But I had a live workspace in Pilsen. So I was just doing my work. I'd come home and and do my work when my daughter was asleep or when my well, her mom was out of the house or whatever. Like there was just I, – I just made sure that I was always able to do something. And had at this point, had you processed or kind of – gotten over that fear that you talked about i'm kind of curious about that fear too like i just wonder like what did you think happened in that time that you lost that you were so afraid of and when did you finally kind of come to terms with that and and accept it well i was afraid of being irresponsible Mm, okay honestly and i and i kept because in my head you know being an artist you know, coming from my family, I mean, my parents were, are awesome people, but, you know, very pragmatic, you know, and just like, well, you can't do that. You you know, like I wanted to become a high school math teacher. And my dad's like, no, you've got to be an engineer. That's the only way you're going to be able to do it. Mm. And that that didn't happen. And well, I ended up becoming a trader, which they were happy about because you got an income. Yeah. Um, and so there was that fear of being irresponsible. I see. And... It wasn't until later, much later, that I decided that I could be a responsible person 
well, being an artist, (laughs) you know, like, and, you know, and being serious about one's practice and yet being practical, you know, and finding, you know, making sure that you're taking care of your family and making sure you're doing these things. And that's manageable. Yeah. It's just, it takes a different type of thinking. Yeah. Creative thinking. Yeah. (laughs) Really. Well, yeah. Tell me about that. So what you've figured out about having a family and being an artist. Well, um, there are a couple of things. One thing that helped me a lot was um, a meeting, studio visit. I went to William Conger, Bill Conger of Chicago, who was the head of painting at Northwestern, but is an amazing abstract painter in Chicago. Um, I went to his studio because we met and got along great and got to talk about art. And he asked me to bring some things to talk about my Mm -hmm. things. And we had a great time and he had lots of great things to say to me, but preceding the actual visit, when I called, I said, well, is there a time that I can come? And he's like, the studio is always open. Hmm. And I loved that. I loved that idea. Like the studio in your head should always be open, Hmm. like never, turn that off. And then also at that time, I was reading uh, the, one of the books that I have laid out here um, by um, Wexler, oh, on no, Robert, by, by Wexler on oh, Robert oh, Irwin, right, right, right. Um, Seeing is Forgetting the Name of the Thing One Sees. And one of the things about Robert Irwin, too, that comes about it is being aware always of what you're seeing. And and it comes across in his book very clearly. You know, like, in, he's this is an exceptional person where he can go live on an island by himself for a year. Yeah. <laughs> Something I could never do. I'm too social for that. Yeah. But the fact that the concentration on being visually aware, because I I identify as a visual artist, and you need to be constantly aware. So the confluence of those two ideas of the studio always open, always looking, always being aware of, always keeping on, help me be a parent because you're, you integrate it with your life. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're going down the path like Sally Mann and photographing your children in the way that she did. But yes, there is some of that too. Like I photograph my children a lot. Mm-hmm. And I've drawn my children. In fact, behind you is a painting of my older daughter, who's now 22. But when she was in a crib at the age of two or one and a half or yeah. whatever. But, you know, being being true to yourself of finding what is visually interesting and compelling to you amongst that environment, mm. you know. And in a way, you're kind of giving up control by and controlling, you know, like, like, you know, I think that there's this thing like, oh, you have to have everything set straight to, to do your work. And it's like, no, that never really actually happens. And, uh, Bukowski, uh, talks about that too. And that was another book I meant to grab. There's a, he talks about, it's a poem that talks about, or an essay, or I don't remember which, but where he gets into deeply that, that ideal situation of like having the studio and the perfect and the time and no one's interrupting you, that just doesn't happen in real life. And most artists, when you read about, I love reading biography and Mm -hmm. any artists you've read about, they, they always had to push themselves to make the time to do what they needed to do, but also being present in it 
all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah. For me, that's what I've embraced, and it has allowed me to be a parent and a, and a devoted parent to my kids and devoted to my art. And, you know, so, like, I have um, one final person that affected this thinking was uh, Virgil Thompson. He came up with this term about finding creative, hy- good creative hygiene. Mm-hmm. And I love that term. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's just so perfect. Like, make sure you're in an environment, and it can be something very simple, like keeping a sketchbook with you all the time. Or uh, for me, I, I'm not a quick sketch artist. Um, I can render drawings. I love figure drawing. I do all of that. But I'm slow at it. So for me, the camera filled that gap. Mm. You know, like I... I don't think of myself as a photographer, although I do a lot of photography. It it allows me to take to keep the studio open all the time. Yeah. It, it's part of my good creative hygiene practice of like my camera is always ready to go. It's ready to come with me. I take it with me everywhere. I take it with me when I take the kids to school. I take it when I go to the grocery store. It doesn't yeah. matter because there may be something visual that is compelling that you need to record capture or otherwise render in some way and you have to be prepared all of the time because you don't know where it's going to come from and And you also have this beautiful little setup here with the watercolors (coughs) isn't that part of your yeah and so absolutely so um as i uh shared with you that that for a, a period of my life when when the trading world for me said goodbye, okay. <laughs> I, I will say, um, and and I had a huge life transition of that. I had to put away my paints and really and put a lot of things in storage for years, and and just life was a bit chaotic for a, a while. And so I ended up doing mostly just photography because I could take it with me. I could do it on my computer, and you know it was compact. And and so I was like, well, I will get back to the painting. I will get back to the painting. And and I had reached a point that like that time wasn't coming. I was like, I had to figure out a different way to engage in painting again. Mm. And and so I created this exercise that I call the watercolor contact sheets. And I made these contact sheets of thirty six by twenty four millimeter cells, the same as a thirty five mm-hmm. millimeter frame cell, and gridded them out on paper and the goal was to paint three cells a day Hmm. i couldn't skip a day that meant seven days a week three hundred you can't skip a day there are no weekends no none of that none of that and so i had to do three a day and if i skipped a day i had to make it up on the next day and if i went did more they didn't count forward and okay. it's like you couldn't do 12 and say good i don't have to do it for next no it's like you have to do it and i've been doing that now for a number of years i have a bunch of notebooks now filled oh, with wow. those and and they've now become part of well they help me bring my hand back for painting yeah. and then also to be a part of that joy of paint that I have. I love the magic of paint um, unto itself. Like I'm not um, a photorealist or a realist painter and, and I'm definitely an abstract painter of the nature of the color and the form and the ideas 
behind it unto itself, yeah. if that makes sense. So, yeah, so I keep that out. That started, as I said, years ago when I had a very, very small studio. And so it can fit on a desktop. I have a travel set that of paints that can come with me. Mm-hmm. I've painted on trains and planes and cars and and wherever, you know, just to make sure that and I'm I'm doing it. And now that I have this amazing studio, which I moved to this house a year ago, and I have now a dream studio of yeah. a two-car garage converted into a studio space where all my paints are back now. Yeah. Like, everything is out of storage, all my books, all my paints, all my canvases. And, and now I'm doing it all. I'm making my box constructions, I'm painting, I'm photographing, and doing my scanning work. And as you can see in the studio, I have the stations set up. There's, yeah. This is the box section here, and then the computer there, obviously, with um, the photography stuff, the small watercolor painting, and then the oil painting over there. And then and I get to display all my work, yeah. too, which to me is important. I know that there are people that don't like seeing their work all the time, mm. Um for me, I, it nourishes me. I like, I like, I love my own work. Oh, that's good. <laughs> well, no, I know, but you, you hear that when artists are talking, oh, yeah. and, and I was like, then, then get rid of it or trash yeah. it. Like, don't, don't, don't hurt yourself. Yeah, get, yeah, get yeah, rid yeah. of it. Well, a lot of the artists I've interviewed talk about this practice of where like they'll be working on one type of thing and they kind of start getting stuck and then they switch to the other thing and they switch to the other thing and switch to the other thing and it all kind of like they kind of maybe do you ever rotate around your stations when you kind of feel like you're kind of not making progress on one and then you kind of work on another oh yeah oh yeah and in fact i i actually keep a notebook too of of other ideas so that you know in the event that I was to ever get truly stuck, um, I can always just open that. And, and that's part of journaling. It's part of journaling, but it's a separate journal okay. that, that I write in that is specific for an idea, like a quick sketch of like, oh, what if I did that? And, you know, and the the good thing about that is that, you know, you need to be taking risks, but when you write it down in a journal, it feels risk-free. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> you're not committed to anything yet, and so you can let it germinate there. Mm-hmm. Or not. It may just die. And that's fine, too. But you have it. You have it to and go And you got to. it out of your head. You got it out of your head. Yeah. You and sound you very disciplined. Like, where do you think that comes from? How do you uh, that's stay a, disciplined? That's a great question. And, and I wanted to mention that is that, I mean, I grew up as a trained athlete. I was a swimmer and then mm. I went to race bicycles. I quit school actually to race bikes oh, wow. and went to France to pursue the dream Wow! and uh, developed asthma like, oh, okay. out, of the, out of the blue. And uh, that that was a catastrophe for me. Yeah, <laughs> like to, I had asthma growing up. And so. so I still have it. It never has gone away. But that discipline of being an athlete has is definitely part of my mentality. Like, mm. you can't... A friend of mine talked about their practice, and, and they were saying that you skip a day, you notice. You skip a couple of days, your peers notice. You skip a week, the world notice. Mm. And I... That's the way I feel about my pra- I cannot skip a day. You know, you can't do that. As an athlete, you can't do that. I mean, if you get injured or something like that, you know, that, I mean, then, but you are mentally trying to fix it in other ways, mm-hmm. you know, like, so 
that mentality is definitely part of who I am. Just you have, I mean, this is what I want. This is what makes me fulfilled is to make work. And I need to do that, you know, um, in order to go further, in order to grow as an artist, you have to do. You can't ask why mm-hmm. all the time. You can ask why later. You know, like, so like, I, for me, I've set up practices, you know, routines to engage in so that you just do the work and then feel what comes out from it. That doesn't mean that you can't be inspired and say, oh, I have this thing that needs to be done because you're already prepared. You're ready to do it. Yeah. You know, and so that will happen and that definitely happens. But keeping the engine rolling all the time is is critical. I there was actually an interview with the uh painter in Chicago, another painter, Louise um forgetting her last name. Anyway, I'll have to look it up and share it with you later, but she just did an interview uh and stated just that. She does horizon paintings. They're very very beautiful, but um just she's you know like yeah not some days you're you have to treat it as a job in a way or as a routine you have to keep Mm -hmm. being there and for me there i don't want to have holidays i don't this is the way i want to die yeah doing this (laughs) i just just doing it just doing it every day you know and and getting as much done as as i can i i don't see how i can do all that i have in my head in my lifetime yeah i mean if i have 40 more years, 30, 20. I don't know. I don't know. So I just have to work. And what do you think doing all of the things that you're imagining that you want to do will accomplish? Or do you think about legacy? Or I don't know. I don't. I want to. I have two th- things about that. One, I don't care about legacy or any of that. What I care about is am I adding to the conversation that I think I'm part of ah. and again uh, this this is um um dawood bay his voice <laughs> that is in my head about that um i've had the great pleasure of having him run seminars that i've been a part of and gotten to know him through those and um he's amazing um but he was talking about he was critiquing somebody's work and he's like, you know, you've got to own it. You've got to look through. I I think about that all the time of like, what is about the thing that is you that makes you own it? You know, like, and, and I think that that's what I'm hoping comes out of my work Mm. every time. So how that fits then further, he said, you know, you've got to be aware of what conversation you're a part of. So like in photography, you know, who are the photographers that are important to you in painting or in the arts in general? Like, who are those artists that are important to you and why? You know, for me, Agnes Martin is one that comes up all the time and the beauty that we were talking about. I hope that my work adds to that thinking about beauty. Not exact, not in the way that she talks about it because she's already said it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, but how am I contributing to that idea of sharing in my understanding of beauty? And I have works that that where I'm asking myself that, you know, like the personal aesthetic journey body of work that's on my website is about that, you know, like understanding the aesthetics or the 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 
sensitivity to beauty that I'm aware of mm -hmm. and that I'm following and capturing. Um, so, you know, that's what I hope is coming across mm -hmm. in my work. Yeah, I love the idea of kind of studying the context of who you are and other people's work and, and what, yeah, what conversation you want to be a part of. Yeah, and th that was that was what Dawood Bay really focused on. And, and um, he and Kerry James Marshall were at this one seminar together, which was astounding to wow. have both of them. And Kerry James Marshall was talking about, like, well, cause the artist that he was critiquing her work, and she's like, well, I'm experimenting with color. And he's like, well, well but why? Like, what, what are you doing? Well, I don't know. And he's like, well, pick up a book. Like, the, all those ideas about, not every idea about color has been explored, but start there. Like, learn the language of color, of mm -hmm. color theory. I mean, there, there are tons of books. I mean, start off with John Gage's, you know, Color and, and Culture. Um, you know, read Joseph Albers' books. Then you'll have the, the beginnings to then add to that conversation. You're vo not saying that your voice isn't important, mm -hmm. but in order to engage in it, you have to read about it. You know, and if you don't want to be a part of that conversation, that's fine too, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> that's fine. It, it's just, but if you want to be a part of that conversation, you have to have the, and the only way you're going to get that is by reading. In yeah. my opinion, I, I, I don't see how you can get around that. There, there are thousands upon thousands of books out there that need to be poured over and, and understand how people have been thinking about it over the period of time. And then how do people go forward with that thinking, you know? And as I talk about Dawood Bay and Carrie James Marshall, I have to interject that I met them through the institution in Chicago called the Hyde Park Arts Center. Okay. That to me has helped me grow as an artist in ways that I am forever grateful because th there it's an institution that embraces artists of all levels from Sunday painters to crafters to the likes of Carrie James Marshall and Dawood yeah. Bay. And there you can meet all those people, but it's in that institution that um, I took classes in photography in encaustics. Um, they actually have a development class called the, the center program, which I got, which is a seminar style um, program where artists get to discuss their work and, and develop a body of work within the context of other artists and curators and have real deep discussions about their mm. work. And it's there that I was able to finally completely put to rest any mm. doubts about <laughs> wanting to be an artist. That's where I just fully embraced it because there were people that were encouraging you all the time and somebody to listen and share and give you feedback. Very nice. Amazing. Amazing place. What is your reading practice like? I mean, when do you, I, I find it hard sometimes to make time to read. Um, I just I just keep a active bedside table. Okay. <laughs> um, I do read before I go to bed uh, every night. I have to, you know. So I do have a bit of a routine um, where, like, generally, like most Sunday nights, like I read 
read the New York Times book review. Okay. You know, like that's something I make sure I get done because, you know, there are you know always new books out there that you need to keep up with. Uh-huh, or, yeah. um, or I'm not afraid to, or like if I come across an article online that I want to read, I do the ungreen thing and uh, I print it up. Right. Because um, I don't bring any electronics into my bedroom. I don't like that. Yeah. Like that's I gotcha. a sanctuary of sorts. And I'll print up the article and put it on my bed so that when I get to bed at night, that's when I read it yeah. and go through it. Um, so I just keep things alive. I mean, I have a stack of about eight books next to my bed. And like right now, I'm finishing up uh, one of the Dave Hickey's books. And I just I made it halfway through a book on a biography of Goethe that I loved so much, but I got it from the library and I I've, I had to buy it because I'm like, I need to take <laughs> notes on this book and it's going to take me longer than the the yeah, renewings. Are, yeah, yeah, I'm like, it's just not going to work. So uh, I just got that in the mail. I just returned the other one. And so I'm debating on that, whether or not to start it over again because I want to take notes on it. There, That book is going to affect how I am able to articulate what my work is about. I found it very resonant. I mean, because every, every biography I've read of any artist of the 20th century somehow is, will mention Goethe. Somehow. Because it could be one of his plays, one of his poems, one of his writings, one of his essays, color theory. He wrote a, he wrote a, an essay on color theory, for mm. example. And and I was like, you know, I only know him through the operatic world of Faust and the sorrows of young Werther. And, you know, I mean, Faust is Faust, and that, that's just, it's, that's just so out there, common. Um, yeah. But um, I didn't know more about him and, and, like, why he is the monolith figure that he is. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and this biography helped answer all that. Oh wow! <laughs> For sure. I mean, he was amazing, and then and he. I mean, I don't think I'm going to be a fan of his poetry. For me, it's that his poetry is a bit dated, um, but the ideas behind them are pretty profound. You know, mm-hmm. and the the connections of him and nature and our interconnectedness that definitely fits in with my idea of interconnectedness with my sacred fabric work, you know, that he uh, was definitely talking about with um, both religious leaders and other thinkers of that time, and that he was expounding on that. And yeah, there's there's so much there that it's going to be another year before I can digest it all. Yeah. The way you're talking reminds me a lot of just a recent interview that I just released with America Martin, and she talks about her attitude and voraciousness about life and books and literature and people. And mm-hmm. she's just so excited about, you know, it's like I don't have enough time to consume all this stuff in my life, you know? Right, right. And it just makes me wonder, like, how could anyone ever be bored or. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want to <laughs> don't... say depressed because that could be controversial. No, no, it's well, just it's like, no. you know. Depression is a different thing. I mean, that's a, that's a that's a mental challenge that that can happen to anyone. Yeah. So, um, but boredom, yeah. I mean, there's there's so much to explore. I mean, if you're bored, you're just not trying. Do you think it would be helpful to share any of your routines in more depth or detail, like your kind of daily routines, or do you feel like you've kind of covered that? Well, I, I feel like I've I've covered it um, 
mostly. I think one of the parts that I didn't really share about is, you know, I'm an active journaler. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. And, and for me, um, journaling helps me really center myself about everything because in creating that balance between my artistic self and my responsible self as being a parent and spouse and member of the community good and citizen. family, a good <laughs> citizen. No, and I, I mean, especially now in these very chaotic times yeah. of trying to, to hold on to all of that, um, journaling for me helps organize that. You know, like I can rant there and it's not for public consumption in any way. Like there's nothing profound there. It's just a way for me to go and get through whatever I need to accomplish for myself. And it helps mm-hmm. me refocus, you know, all of that. It ostensibly, it always ends up to be a list. Okay. <laughs> but... But there are all the feelings behind those things to then prioritize what that list ends up being. Yeah. And journaling helps a lot with that for me. And so journaling is an important part. I, I don't write every day. Um, I write, I'd say, five days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are definitely days where, you know, I don't need to and I have other things that I already know that I'm getting done. Yeah. Um, the painting routine that I talked about, you know, is still prevalent. Um, the, the watercolors, um, there's a page there that's almost done. I was painting this morning before you arrived. Yeah. Um, that's, I think that covers it in terms of like making sure it, that that routine is done. The challenge is being a parent at the same time, I have, as I said, a 22-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 3-year-old. And I'm a stay-at-home dad for the two younger ones. And, you know, integrating their active lives with my life as an artist is very important to me. Um, and so they have, I can set up something for them to do in the studio if there's something I need to attend to here in the studio. Um, mornings I have are always open for working and after they go to bed. So um, th- those are the blockout times that I have to work in the studio, mm-hmm. mornings and l- later in the night, um, and to just get the work done and yeah. make sure the kids are aware that it's okay. And Like, for example, they, they're, they're totally fine when I have to stop the car or stop the stroller or the bike or whatever to take a picture. Yeah. Um, they know that. I mean, it was really funny. The other day, yesterday, we were walking home from their cousin's house, and there was this amazing tree that I had never seen. I walked by it a million times, and I was like, I can't believe I haven't seen this. Yeah. And I'm like, I have to photograph it, and I know it's about to rain, but oh well. (laughs) (laughs) And we got rained on, but I got the pictures, and the kids didn't bat an eye. Yeah. They just were like, okay. So would you be more than happy for them to be artists too? I mean, do you have that fear of kind of them, you know, making a living? And um, I don't have that same fear that I had for myself. You know, I hope that they find themselves and find their own happiness. Like, you know, I think my older daughter has. um, You know, started on that path of finding herself. You know, Mm. being. You know, graduating from college, you know, she didn't get an arts degree or anything. She she uh, got a Spanish and uh, American studies degree, but 
she danced all the way through hmm. university and still dances. And, uh, but I, I don't, and she's always said she doesn't want to make it as a career. She wants to do something else. And yeah. so, but as long as she f- continues to find it for herself, that's all that really matters to me. And the same thing with my other ones. I, as long as they find themselves to be happy. Yeah. So that's what, it, that's what I'm hoping. It makes me think of, uh, or wonder what, have you learned about yourself doing your work, your artwork, maybe just in recent years? I am physically moved by beauty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I s- so I'm looking up here right now. Uh, there are two new photographic works mm-hmm. that are here that are part of a new series that I started a couple of years ago called Arboreal Chords. And they're compositional images using um, one photograph of a tree and Mm -hmm. then I build them up and they're inspired by the grid as used by Odd Reinhardt in his black paintings Um, he had an amazing relationship with Thomas Merton and spirituality and aesthetics were both important to both of them Mm -hmm. And, and to me too you know that idea of it and I guess I've discovered, I don't know if I, I guess I'm always, I don't know, I feel like I'm not answering your question all of a sudden, but I just think they're so beautiful and taking the form of the tree and heightening that beauty is something I definitely couldn't have done five years ago Hmm. that I'm confidently can do now. I guess that's another thing is the thing that definitely is part of who I am now is that... There's a confidence in my work now that wasn't there certainly 10 years ago. It started appearing about five years ago. or No, 15 years ago, none. 10 years ago, yes. Now, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I'll just do the work. And, and if, it, if it doesn't work, I'm okay with that. In fact, it's, it's fine because sometimes things don't work out and you just can go forward with it. So... Yeah, I know. I feel like I'm drifting on there, but I keep looking at these works. I enjoy these. <laughs> so, so you know, just thinking about that, it's just like, yeah, this, these make me happy, and you know, juxtapose the the uh, sacred fabric work there too. You know, the, there's some very similar lines that are happening in them that that I'm pleased with. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so nature is a priority for you, it sounds like. I mean, you you make a point to spend time in nature and appreciate nature and look at nature. Yes. Yes. And I think that there's, um, I think I am in awe of nature. In fact, uh, the persistence of nature, and, you know, within like these destitute of nature urban areas you know like i've lived in brooklyn and chicago where you know there's areas that seem completely devoid of nature and yet you'll find these little sprouts coming up between sidewalks and and i just and i and i to me that's just it's magical and i and i i want to share that magic and here's a better answer to your question of earlier like what how has it grown is I now know how to ask questions hmm. about my work and, and try and answer those questions. For example, when here in Austin, when we have uh, a sudden rain like 
yesterday. Um, in a couple of days, there will be these rain lilies that yeah, will be popping beautiful. up all over. Mm-hmm. There's a suddenness to them that is exciting. Like that, they can just be green grass, you know, fresh green grass from the from the rain, and then these wonderful lilies will just pop up. How do you show that suddenness in mm. photography? That's a great question to me. Like, I don't know the answer yet. Um, I've tried. Yeah. I mean, I've photographed them, and and I, I've come up with some beautiful photographs of them, but I haven't come across with the suddenness ah. of them. So, like, right now, that's a that's a question I have. But I'm fine with that question. I'm also fine with not having the answer right now. Yeah. Because I think it's a great question. Yeah. So, so where I am now and what I, is to be fine with that in, in both ways. Like, yeah, I have this question. I don't know what the answer is. I do know that, you know, I may get to the answer. I may not. But there is, I am aware of the magic of them. Yeah, and what that magic is—the suddenness of that appearance. Yeah, I mean it happens so quickly, and how do you show that in one photograph? Yeah, that's my challenge. And you're just kind of living in curiosity about the world. Yeah, in awe. I am in awe, and Robert Irwin is one that definitely helps me thinking about that. I mean, there was one where he gave a speech to a university, and and he goes. The magic is still there. Now, he's in his 80s, and he was given this speech. And, and yeah, I get it. Like, there's the magic of the sublime is there. You know, when you think about all through history of that magic of existence, of being alive, is so apparent. And, you know, to embrace and share that, to me, is what... I see myself as doing. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to. <laughs> yeah. Do you see the rest of the world doing that? Or do you feel like you're unique? Cause I don't, I don't know. I don't feel like people do that enough. Again, I, I, I think, no, I think people definitely do that. And I think like Agnes Martin definitely is about the beauty of the, the you know, beauty is the mystery of life. You know, they can, that embracing, I mean, and you were talking uh, like, when you think about her her work and the sublime attitude that comes from them, you know she was definitely celebrating in life and being a part of life. Mm-hmm. No question. The lyricism of Matisse's later work is all it's so beautiful, the beautiful colors and the the lines and that celebration of life. No, for sure. You could talk about Van Gogh. You can talk about, um, I mean, Pollock. His is our, our celebrations of life. They're about nature. They're about the joy of that. They're that. I to me that they're all about that. I mean, I, I you know, from portraiture. Um, you know, thinking about there's this um, his photographer uh, Stefan Stefan Ruiz. Stefan mm. Ruiz is his name. Um, he's a photographer that's he's published everywhere and and uh, but his he's done these portraits of from prison portraits to different um communities around mexico and latin america i'm um, like and they're a celebration of the beauty of that people have about 
their own lives. Hmm. And, and, and I, I get that. Like, that's just, that's perfect. You know, like there's, th- he was just sharing some on Instagram the other day of these photographs of this community. I think it's in Mexico city. The, these guys that cut their hair into these mullet forms. Yeah. And, uh, Stefan photographs with a real sensitivity to his sitter, of course, where he embraces their celebration of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it's beauty. It, that, that's what beauty is, right? You yeah. know, I feel good about myself. Take a picture. It's okay for you to take a picture of me. And that's what he's capturing with them. It's beautiful. Yeah. So there are a lot of people that are, are doing that. And, I mean, I think most artists are. I mean, and I think even in social contexts of, you know, people that are bringing up about social injustices, you know, it's about calling attention to what makes us human, you know? Like, yeah, these things are happening and happening horribly to other people. And the reason that they feel horrible is because they're taking away from the good things. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So. So you have... You're going to be in an exhibit at Davis Gallery soon with another artist. Maybe yeah. tell me about that work and that yeah. show. So the the name of the show is Of Warp and Weft. The show is at Davis Gallery opening June 9th. Um, it's June and July. Is the show's going to be up. I'm showing with Caprice Perucci, who's a well-known uh, Austin artist who does these wonderful wood sculptures that are fabric-like in their idea, uh, and she comes from a very strong fiber background. When she and I first were introduced to each other via the director of Davis Gallery, we had a wonderful conversation about our art and how we saw them interconnected, but we kept using the word warp and weft Mm. to describe the mechanics of our work, but also the metaphors that they're pushing, you know, that interwovenness, that interconnectedness. And that's what weaving and fabric is. And, you know, the terms warp and weft are in weaving and in, in, in rug making and things like that. And, and so that was the reason for the title. Um, and she and I have shown together once before at Davis as part of a group show. Okay. They put one of each of our pieces next to each other to see how they would really yeah. communicate. And it was great. I, I'm, I am really looking forward to this show because it's not about just showing our work. I mean, obviously, that's <laughs> it. But it's a conversation. It's a conversation, and it's a conversation between the works themselves. And, and you're not going to know until they actually see. And so there'll be the week that we hang and all three of us, Kevin Evester, the director of Davis, who's brought this together and uh, Caprice and I are all going to be there and having this conversation of like, Oh, this one definitely wants to talk to this one. And this one, the look at that one. And and I'm, I'm thrilled to be having that happen to see how that goes, because then the artwork becomes themselves like between the two of them. Too, mm-hmm. which to me is very exciting. So, and what is your what work are you? Oh, I'm have? sorry. Uh, my uh, the work that I'm showing is the uh, the Sacred Fabric series uh, body of work, which where I photograph using a scanner bed uh, cheesecloth, and then I make these large 
photographic prints of them on dye bond using a UV cured pigmented ink process. Mm -hmm. Um, And it creates this amazing space within the visual plane of the work. Um, But the cheesecloth to me is a representation of interconnectedness amongst all things in the cosmos. And so each work focuses on a single element, multiple elements of our experiences as people, things that we're aware of. Like I have a work that's called A Gentle Breeze. And we all know what a gentle breeze can feel like. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that wonderful undulating wind. And I have this fabric that feels like that to me. And I'm excited to, to share that body of work very nice well charles thank you so much for your time thank you so much for coming by my studio it was and your really thoughtfulness and yeah i really enjoyed talking with you i've enjoyed talking with you too thank okay. you well thanks bye-bye <laughs> thanks for listening If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends and colleagues and consider giving it a review on iTunes. That could help others find it and motivate them to give it a try. At austinarttalk.com, you can visit each episode's webpage to find links related to the relevant and interesting people, places, and things mentioned by each guest. And thanks to those who have reached out with encouragement and positive feedback. I really appreciate it. All the best to you and take care.